0: You can't continue in sexual permissivity. Remember, I was cheap at sinners, and I'm coming out of that 50 years later mm. and understanding and discovering things in my own life, yet today, and today they're saying that this statistic kept going around the last few weeks, that 80% of the junior high boys are addicted to pornography.
1: And what, what overwhelms me sometimes is that being forgiven is one of the greatest motivations to, to live righteously trust. I think
0: that faith is a muscle that grows when you practice delayed gratification to meet the need outside of God's way. Now, there goes back to the point, you messed with who you are then. And I said, that's how we got to this sexual identity crisis, because you keep doing this, and pretty soon, you don't know who you are.
1: Hey, everybody, want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That's why we do what we do on these podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Hey, we are working today on podcast episode 43, and this one will be different than many of the other ones, uh, although it still fits in line with my vision of bringing courage and perspective when serving gets hard. Uh, this is a needed conversation to have, probably not a, a comfortable conversation to have. Uh, and the reason why, perhaps is because the church is is still trying to sort out its place in in this. Uh, but we as believers are finding ourselves trying to figure out our response to the what I call moral dilemma that exists in our society. We're, we're no longer just preparing our our people and students and Christian institutions on how to respond to the issues that they will face when they go out into the world. Uh, But now we are the ones struggling ourselves with these issues. They are now in-house. So many of the issues the world gave in to uh, years ago are issues now that the church is is fighting against and trying to figure out how to compassionately respond to it without compromising the gospel. Uh, It was amazing to me to watch a change take place, even in the last 10 years of, of my pastoring. I remember so well... One time, I think it's the first time I've ever talked about this on this podcast, uh, but really uh, just begging and pleading with a young girl, a college student who was attending our church, uh, not to abort her baby, and her parents were also uh, just urging her and begging her, and when she was in my office, she came in twice to talk to me. She was struggling with this, but I even promised that our family would adopt the baby if she would go through with it. Uh, Well, sadly, she ended up uh, going through with it, and that has always been uh, just a a personal burden to me. It it made it so real. You know, I think we we tend to think of things like that as statistics, but when you know people that are, you know, made hard choices like this and bad choices, uh, it just takes on a whole new uh, reality to to us. Uh, I remember too well also uh, conversations I had with couples who were coming to our church that were in a same-sex relationship, um, but then finding out that they were longing to be obedient to the message of the gospel, and sometimes others did not, and as a church we're trying to figure out our response to that. And I can't count how many conversations I've had also with young men who are, who are struggling with the ravages of, ra- ravages of pornography, and even uh, women struggling with this, and many of them deeply addicted. Uh, How does the church respond to that? Uh, I really don't think we can have too many conversations about these many issues on what I'm titling for this podcast as sexual identity and the gospel response. And that's the big question we're going to wrestle through today uh, on how the church can remain committed to the gospel and in a loving and caring way speak out or speak to uh, the people that are part of our community about the ravages of, of addiction, uh, and at the same time, speaking for the person who's caught up in these issues. And we see Jesus, of course, beautifully modeling that, uh, that balance. So um, I had the privilege recently of uh, a meeting, actually a couple years ago, meeting Gene Schrader, uh, uh, I think three, four years ago, through a mutual friend. And uh, because of his expert training and experience in counseling people with sexual addictions, I asked him to sit down with me for really an honest and open conversation on exactly this. What is the gospel's response to uh, sexual addiction? Gene Schrader founded and directed, or and is the director of North Atlanta Counseling Services, and he's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he's a member of the American Association of Christian Counselors. Uh, He's been in private practice since 1977 with extensive experience in individual therapy, marriage and family therapy, teenage problems, and sexuality, and he's been very helpful to me on a number of cases where I've asked for his input and advice on uh, some counseling situations I was involved in. Uh, What I love about him, and you'll see this through this podcast, he brings the scriptures into this. In fact, he has memorized scriptures and just out of... um, his mind and heart, he, he will refer to scriptures through this podcast, uh, but he loves to bring God's truth to those in conflict with it within their marriages, adjusting and grieving to losses in life and depression. He's a frequent speaker for church groups, and he's conducted seminars on sexuality, bonding and true intimacy, parenting and fathering, overcoming affairs, and loyalty. Gene earned his master's degree in counseling from Georgia State University. And uh, he's concurrently, uh, it was concurrently uh, attending um, Psychological uh, Studies Institute. And he's been a Christian in Christian related ministry since 1972. Most importantly, he's been married since 1963. Wow, I was only two years old. And Gene and his wife, Al Dean, have two daughters, a son, and five grandchildren. Hey, I cannot wait for you to. Join in on this uh, really riveting conversation that Gene and I had. Let's go to it. All right, I have on uh, the uh, Zoom conferencing, actually uh, he called me by phone, uh, which is I think the first time that has happened, Gene Schrader. Gene, thank you so much for being willing to be part of uh, the Before You Quit podcast. You're welcome. Thank you, Mitch. Well, Gene, we, we've we known each other really through a mutual friend. In fact, we joke that we're the only two friends that this man has. Uh, I think that's that's not true. Uh, we know that's not true. He's probably one of the most outgoing people that we've known. He's probably going to be listening to this. So, hi, Bill. Thanks for uh, arranging this friendship. Uh, but we uh, we met once, and it was in the context of, of helping someone out. Uh, you had been brought in to... Uh, to give some perspective in a situation that I was uh, involved with in helping someone else out. And uh, since then, I've just been intrigued by what you do uh, and how you do it. But uh, just introduce yourself, tell us what you do, uh, how you ended up specializing and in, in mainly in this area of sexual identity and addiction. Uh, love to hear a little bit of just, just briefly a little bit of the background there.
0: Well, I mean, I've been, I'm a licensed marriage family therapist in the state of Georgia. Mm-hmm. I've been counseling for forty years as a marriage and family therapist, and obviously because of that, you come across the sexual issues of adultery, and now even deeper—you know, um, the same sex identity issue. So much is going on, but you're going to you're going to encounter this in families. All families, I believe, that are listening will know that some form or another they have dealt with a problem of sexual promiscuity and, and mm-hmm. what that led to and their children. So, And I got into this really into counseling. I didn't. God's taking my weakness and turn it into good. We won't go into all my old testimony but we can. Mm-hmm. But, and I went away to pray after I became a Christian and was in Christian work with, and uh, asking God for some direction in the future. And took two, three days alone. And he gave me, the verse that stuck out to me was Isaiah 50 verse 4. You'll sustain with a word him that is weary, morning by morning, I'll you as one who's been taught. Mm-hmm. I, it. I realized that it was Israel, but it spoke to me. I didn't see that it being a counselor. I thought I'd been the preacher.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: <laughs> go to the Word, go back to seminary. And I and uh, quite frankly, my wife, every time we prayed about it, she didn't have a piece about it. And uh, The truth is that led me. And I was on campus who saved staff, lay ministry. Met with Bill Bright. And he wanted me to stay on staff and go to seminary, but I met him face to face. He asked me to come talk to him, and I did. And but not that I was such an important person, but the truth, he was such a godly man that he told me yeah. that. And I said, "Yes, okay, I'm driving away from that with my wife." I said, ah, "I don't think that God's telling me to go to seminary." It was it's like saying no to Bill Bright was like saying no to Jesus. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like Jonah running to Nineveh, right, or running away from yeah, that. right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, God led me. The
0: thoughts came, and I knew some people, and I got within two weeks, I was enrolled in, in graduate courses, with, then was called PSI, it's called something else now, but, and so now I'm in a crash Greek course two weeks later, and I went on to get a master's degree in, in counseling mm-hmm. through Georgia State with an affiliation with what was called PSI here in Atlanta. So
1: okay, PSI stands, with, uh, PSI stands for what?
0: Uh, a physical, what was it standing for? Psychological fitting. Psychological. What did it say? Like, it, it was a psych- It was a psychological. So it's, it's called Rosa. It's a different name now, but okay.
1: Okay, that's, that's fine. It, it was a,
0: It was affiliated with Georgia State, and they allowed that to happen to teach it from uh, training people for the church mm-hmm. the counselors.
1: Okay, okay, like a lot of studies like a lot of studies institute that's what it was Gotcha, okay and, uh, sorry, sorry to throw you off there um oh <laughs> well, i forgot you that said you that. said something hard. you said something rather interesting when you were first introducing yourself that uh, you know you you set out to be a a marriage and family therapist or counselor and you've been doing this for forty years and you did you, did you just happen to fall into this uh, common reality of, of sexual addiction? And you mentioned promiscuity. Um, is, and, and you ended up really specializing in that area. Um, so, yeah, did you, were you looking for that or that just emerged as a common theme or a heavy theme that you saw in, in the problems you were facing?
0: Well, I think most of what I was facing was adultery, mm-hmm. uh, people that were sexual sins came to me in the family and marriage counseling, kind of which is every marriage therapist to face that. I, I don't know whether you, and I took additional training and stuff like that, trying to, you know, to understand more about it. But part of the thing was that, you know, 48 years ago, that's what Christ saved me out of. Mm. And then uh, I find myself, I was an adul- adulterer for seven years of my marriage. Didn't know why I was doing it, but it mm. brought me to Christ was the fact I couldn't fix myself, and so here I end up now God using me at the point of my weakness with Corinthians wow. twelve his grace is sufficient weakness and so I really didn't have a, an idea again that I was going to do that, but because what you're exposed to and that became
1: yeah more
0: certainly So all of a sudden I'm dealing with sexual sins well and um, and there it comes to try to training yourself and where you are in maturity so anyway there's a lot there so so I, I don't know if I, I got into counseling. My wife said it took me six years to print calling cards and be a counselor because I'm not sure that's what I wanted to do, and I'm getting a lot of people coming to me, and finally I made up my mind that's what God wanted me to do. Of course, 40 years later, it's obvious that verse is what he'd lived out in my life. That's my life script.
1: I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that as you as you entered into this, you know, the first decade into the second decade, as as culture started to change. And I mean, of course, and and we would probably could talk for hours about how, how much, uh, how pervasive, uh, you know, sexual sin is in in culture. Uh, And it's, you know, again, it's, it's been, uh, even in the last 10 years, we've seen a lot of changes. So did you, did you see in the, in the kind of situations you were, where you were helping people that uh, within the first, second decade, that you started to see a shift in the kind of Struggles people had, particularly in, in the area of, of sexual addiction?
0: Well, yeah, the word addiction, incidentally, that was always a struggle. The first book written on sexual addiction was Out of the Shadows. wasn't written until the late 80s. And mm-hmm. so there's dispute even in psychological terms whether you want to call it sexual addiction or not. In fact, in the DSM book where they, you classify what psychological disorders you have, and they have a number, uh, I, that sexual addiction is not even in yet today.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and that's a secular thing. So, but uh, so there was a dispute, you know, sexual compulsivity disorder. Okay, people accept that term. But yes, things have gotten progressing, but primarily because of the exposure. And this is the pornography. Sexual sins were always here. We're not the first culture that's gotten to where we're at today. I mean, obviously, Rome got there. There you can go back mm-hmm. and look at history see, as, a, as sexual promiscuity and perversion steps outside of God's. Boundaries to get their needs met, you end up at more and more perversion. Mm-hmm. But pornography or exposure to this fantasy world um, amplified it. And, and years ago, there weren't many sexual addiction groups that were Christian orientated, totally, rather than just SA groups, uh, sexual addiction groups. So I started a group of my own, but then I found out they were there's people that started but had far more expertise, and so. I went back to not having, but I used to have before that I had 10, 15 people in my room doing take, taking people through some material uh, that were caught pornography all the way from uh, doctors to president of companies to no matter what their class of life were.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, but, but what happened we back there, you realize the exposure of that you had to go to a store, a, a store with a, to buy a video, and they kept some people deterred to go there. Mm-hmm. Today, you know what I'm going to say. Sure,
1: it, it's a push All a you got to do is
0: push a button, mm-hmm. a bone. Yeah, and and today they're saying that this statistic kept going around the last few weeks that 80 percent of the junior high boys are addicted to pornography. And
1: uh, that, say that say that again, Gene. That uh, I, well, I, I am not too sure the source of it,
0: but it came from a, a parents that told me they heard this in the church that 80% of the kids, boys particularly, but girls are going going faster, we can talk about that, are addicted, or been exposed at junior high level, even before that, to pornography. And some of them, it's a compulsion. It's such a compulsion. And so parents, you know, they're almost afraid to ask. And and, and technology, kids that age are more savvy in technology than their parents. Mm -hmm. And they could, you can try to block things and they find ways. Around they know
1: it. a way around it. Yeah.
0: And, oh my gosh. And so, so they create a world that isn't real. The feelings, erotic feelings they have when they hit puberty, but what they create a world a fantasy world to live out those feelings. It is not the real world. There's real pictures they're looking at, but, but it's not, it's not intimacy. And that's the distortion, which we're going to leave and maybe talk about that trains their senses in a context. I mean, the sexual desires are not the sin, and having sexual desires doesn't make them bad. But then the shame kicks in; they hide it, and now they develop their mind develops a way of seeing themselves sexually with the opposite sex. And what they're watching is not true intimacy, uh-huh. and it's a story and it's a distorted image of male female because often the roles are totally reversed in yeah. the context of pornography. And so, and so, so, and so these re-
1: these these kids become adults; they end up marrying. And and that's when a, a crisis uh, happens, right? And you 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 no doubt have have seen a link between perhaps adolescence exposure to pornography and marriage problems later. Talk a little bit about that and how you you try to unwrap that with people.
0: Well, first of all, the people live in denial that get married and then or either way, and you won't have a problem with pornography anymore, which mm-hmm. is a lie. Mm-hmm. So they think, okay, if I'm married now and I have my intimate physical relationship with my wife, I won't have a problem with pornography. Probably the majority of men tell me that, and they learn that that's not true. Now, what do you do? You hide it for mm-hmm. sooner or later. This is the whole thing about the secret and hiding. And you obviously you're not transparent then with your wife. And that's what intimacy is. And, uh, so then they, it gets discovered. And, uh, and all of a sudden, um, there's a problem, you know, all of a sudden, uh, and most and, so, and and many women think too. And maybe if the man is honest with, you, he had a problem with it before, and and that, like he doesn't have a problem with it not anymore. Now let me just tell you this: the way your senses get trained, once a weakness in the flesh, it's always a weakness.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm telling you, this is the area where you you have to unpack a little bit about how. And I'm I'm, I'm thought, pausing a little bit, which could, you see, this is the thing about I think that often taught Christianity. Based upon our identity in Christ, which we can get to as a thing that we've been made accessible in Christ, and Paul, I think, realized that. when he was, many places, but in Galatians, but in Romans six, and then Romans seven, he hits and realized his flesh still has the potential to sin, and right. he said, he looks at me, and, and good I do and not the very thing I hate, and I think all of a sudden there was this and this is good, you know he awareness that he though he was accepted in Christ, he was a new creature. He he even says in Romans 6, no longer has the the power of sin over me. I mean, that sin no longer has the power over me. And and the inner man, he he because of Christ within us, and every Christian who except Christ, the Spirit of God comes to live within him. And in the inner man, you're made righteous through Christ's righteousness, right? So, but the outer man in the senses is still trained by this fallen world, and those senses will be triggered again. We well, Jenny, re- related
1: related to that, I'd I'd love to hear your thought on this. Uh, I I hear two messages that come out of out of the uh, especially the, the church or Christian context uh, in, in in this in this arena as well as in others. Uh, one is, hey, you've you've got to do better. You have got to work hard at this. You've got mm. to you know, you've got to uh, you know get accountability. Got to get programs on your computer and stop this, stop this. And then you've got the other message that. Hey, um, we know you struggled. Uh, Yes, it it inhibits fellowship with others as well as with Christ. But guess what? Jesus has given the provision for forgiveness and for healing and restoration. Talk a little bit about your your what you see, particularly people that show up that have lived with this this maybe this tension between I got to work harder. Wait a minute, I'm forgiven.
0: Yeah, I think it goes back to here. We look at the gospel of Christ that we can't make ourselves right with God, that's what grace is, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense that and Christ went to the cross and did not, I mean, it put the condemnation I deserve and put the, the sin I and He put on Him that which I couldn't deal with. Mm-hmm. Was, now, here we get a theological thing with the sin nature gone once we accept Christ or as a flesh. I don't want to get in a theological dispute about that, mm-hmm. people differ, but the power. Of that sin in your flesh was put on Christ the sin itself and Christ overcame my flesh the world Satan and death uh, he did that for me so that by grace you are saved through faith it's a gift of God I don't earn grace has given me what I don't deserve but in the inner man I became a new creature and then Paul said that in other places too and he became a new person the old oldest passed away and then I think right there in moment seven realize the old is still there in his flesh. Okay. So he, he, so that's so we have to come to identity in Christ means that been made now performance made acceptable. Performance and appearance equals approval in the world culture. And the world system is based on Satan. That that form is based on Satan, not God. Because if we had to perform to the point that we'd be acceptable, to God we'd never make it. That's where grace comes in.
1: Yeah, and, and and what, what overwhelms me sometimes is that being forgiven is one of the greatest motivations to, to live righteously. You know, I mean, the best thing, I can, best thing I've ever heard in, in my life and the things that I've struggled with is, Mitch, uh, th- this is happening because you're a sinner. Uh, it's, yeah. oh, okay, well, th- good. There's a diagnosis there. Uh, but hey, guess what? There's a provision for rescue and for healing here. And, and, and knowing that Christ, it was his work, uh, his perfection, his performance that has right. set me free uh, is really one of the most freeing things and messages that I've, I've ever heard that has given me, uh, you know, victory in, in areas of my life. Right. But let me ask you this related to that. When, when you see people do well, which I'm, I'm sure you do. I mean, one of the, uh, you know, I, I do counseling as you do. Uh, you live with a heaviness that sometimes people are just, they're going to keep struggling, you know, and and you, you don't always see people come out of it. Others, you see them experience victory or at least courage. Uh, you know, I, there's some things I, I listen to, I don't know if you know Jordan Peterson. He's a Canadian clinical psychologist who talks a lot about, um, you know, owning, you know, if you're struggling with something. Okay, make that the thing that you're not going to let overcome you in your life and just just, you know, and and it doesn't come fully with a a Christian message. But there is this, hey, uh, there are some things I'm going to have to struggle with my entire life. So in some things I can have courage and endurance to keep saying no to. Other times people have victory over things. Um, So what, what have you seen happen? Um, that has led people to a good place, where you walk away after a relationship with them and say, wow, it's been worth <laughs> this time and effort with them.
0: Yeah, and I think you're right, somebody. I think I think we're talking on that one subject, that people come to believe, which I believe Christ, only you know, he died on the cross, and He gave us the spirit to live within us, and that's the power to live the Christian life. And I think the obedience comes in that you let Christ live His life in you and mm-hmm. through you, that ongoing discipline and obedience the rest of your life, okay? But I think what I said earlier, what you just said, I think people come to grips with the fact that, uh, yeah, there's some things, weaknesses in our flesh that don't that seem to be gone. We get into a little bit of debate here about deliverance. We've been delivered from the power of sin. Mm-hmm. But the practice of by faith to believe that every time I'm tempted... To, and now here's a statement I make. I say to people, and I'll, I'll tell you, we're... I said, you bring Christ into your sex box. And uh, when you say it as a person with hmm. then they go, Ugh, it feels weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I said, why does it feel weird? Mm. Because he created it. And, and, and really the discipline of bringing Christ in every time my my feelings are erotic. Or, I'm just going to use the word erotic feelings or trigger feelings of lust, which is really lust of the flesh, which is, it, it, you know, Passions themselves aren't sinful. Lust means instant gratification one of what something God has given me. Now, the three lusts I realized: the lust of the eyes, is possessions, and pride of life is power. In First John 2, 15, I think verse fifteen. But this this whole thing is our senses got trained to lust to get our needs met outside. Sin is getting our needs met outside of God's way. So, passions themselves are not sin. We learn to get in this fallen world to get them met outside outside of God's way. Now but first of all, I've been made approved of through Christ's righteousness and inner man. That doesn't mean my flesh has been submitted to that righteousness to walk by faith and believe the power has been broken over me. Now There's, there's more steps here. So I think that's the first thing. So you can't just say well, forgiveness doesn't mean that I've, I've built my faith and trust. I think that faith is a muscle that grows when you practice delayed gratification to mm-hmm. meet the need outside of God's way. Yeah. And the and God's world will continue, and again, it says in James, God doesn't tempt with sin, but I think he allows us to be t- tested to learn to discipline through his spirit of delayed gratification. Quite frankly, I go back to people that find how their sexual image got formed, how their sexual experiences got formed, and how their senses got trained. And I have another passage here where uh, here, solid food is for mature, Hebrews 5.14. For those who learn through practice, it really means discipline like an athlete. Retrain their senses. as things which right from wrong. All of our senses in this context in this fallen world. I don't think you find some degree that somebody's senses in the area of passion haven't been trained wrong, because we gave in to getting our needs met outside of God's way, uh, and and the discipline the rest of our life through the power of His Spirit, through His power is to be able to say no to that. Let him live his life. Our will's involved, but not our willpower to overcome it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's. That's really good. Um, let me let me transition a little bit here. Uh, you know, the, the we talked a little bit about how to talk about this before we hit record. The, you know, the world is is now, and this has been rapidly uh, uh, falling on us. It, the world is celebrating lifestyles uh, that mm-hmm. the world itself used to look at in, in the same light as Christians did. That this is immorality. This is this is wrong. This per- perversion. And now we, as as believers, the church are are watching this this rapid uh, dismantling of of you know moral context and assumption, particularly in in the area of sexuality. Um, what do you what do you think we need to be learning? What's our posture? And and this will begin to fall into the the whole discussion. It's a needed discussion on same sex attraction and homosexuality. Uh, because it 's and, and again I, I think we 're past the uh, the place where we need to talk about this because Christians need to know how to help others who are struggling. This is now within the Christian arena. this is now in our youth groups, in our colleges, in our churches, in our marriages, where people are are, are struggling with this, so yeah, just uh, what go ahead and start talking about that
0: well, I think first of all, I mean the thing is that i uh, I want to go back. You know, there's so many verses you can talk about. Unconditional love was poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, was given to us. And so it's Romans 5 5. And so, you know, when when I believe that Christ lives within me and He has unconditionally poured His love into my heart, by faith, I can love the sinner unconditionally the way God does through His life in me Mm. and appropriate that every time I'm dealing with somebody's sin. And then the verse. Incidentally, verse 2, Corinthians two sixteen 16, is an interesting passage. It says, well, 15 says that uh, we're to be judged by no one, but we can judge all things. So, the hmm. only person can judge me accurately and judge another human being. No human being can accurately judge another person. only person can judge me accurately somebody who's never sinned, and it's only one person that walked the face of the earth. That's Christ. So, i got to be careful. I'm not judging the person but it says I can judge all, all things and getting to the point with a person that they'll be able to believe that you're not judging them, but you're trying to help them discover something uh, about their life, but you really mean you want to, You have their best interest in mind. Mm-hmm. That's Now, listen, listen to this. Now, the next verse says in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 2, we talk about the spiritual man here again you know and It says, who's been God's counselor? Nobody. Hmm. But then it says, uh, last part of the verse, you know what it says? But you have the mind of Christ. Wow. You know what I do? You know what I do every time now? I appropriate it on many times this week. I say, Lord Jesus, I have your mind. What would you think as you're sitting with this person? What would you think? And, uh, and the next thought that comes to me is usually something consistent with Scripture. But first of all, loving that person doesn't mean you compromise truth. But how do you express the truth in love and not condemnation? Only Christ can do that through you. And through that process, you begin to see people open up this week. Somebody, it, I can't tell you how many times people tell me I never told anybody this before. You've had that experience.
2: Too. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh,
0: yeah. It, and you say, oh, so what do I do with that? It, it's, a, it's a point of transparency, which is intimacy, that they've never, ever been. Now, I'm going to sidetrack a little bit here. Okay, when you get to the truth, that this is what I. Uh, why did God? Why did God set up the boundary? To not have sex outside of marriage. It's too late. This goes into battery. We can't just tell people stop doing it.
2: <laughs>
0: you have got to say. In fact, I've had good conversations with young people too. So I said, "Do you think it's wrong?" And they say, and look at me because they're in a church and a small group, or they're in. A, and of course, it's wrong. And I can say, the question: What makes it wrong? We got to answer that question. Well, the two things I've come up with. See, now I'm going now I'm moving into loving the person and dealing with the truth. How come God put that boundary? Now our culture is saying, and I've had this thrown at me, is culture has normalized sex outside of marriage to be normal. And they say it's, it's, it's this, we're in this generation that sex out. And then people will say it's just sex. Well, it's not. You're a mental, emotional human being. You're affecting, here's the first thing. One reason he said not to do it is every time you do it, you'll mess with more who you are. You won't discover your identity as a male or female. You'll confuse who you are. Yeah,
1: interesting. Wow. And that's
0: where a sexual identity crisis comes. And the second thing, you'll confuse what true intimacy is. Now, let me tell you a question I ask most people. They had sex outside of marriage. Now, I've reached a point where I'm not condemning them because they did it. I'm trying to help them understand I said, did you totally give yourself to that? And if you ask a woman this to that man when he had sex off in a marriage, not a woman ever said yes to me. Mm -hmm. And I said, then you weren't intimate. Intimacy is totally transparency to be totally present. And I said, prostitutes disconnect emotionally to do what they do. And so you disconnected something in you to do what you did. Now, there goes back to the point you messed with who you are then. And I said, that's how we got to the sexual identity crisis, because you keep doing this and pretty soon you don't know who you are and then yeah. you have to come up with
1: Yeah, I love that. You mess with who you are, the the identity. I I'm reading uh, you probably have heard this uh, Mark Yarhouse uh, his book Homosexuality and the Christian. And yeah. when you were when you were talking about uh, going back to you know rather than condemning and judging, sometimes you go back to God's design. You didn't say it exactly like that, but right. Or what I was thinking when you were saying saying it, but he he talks about one of the ways to counter this, particularly with families and children, and not necessarily having a conversation about someone in the family, but just what's happening in culture. One of the ways to help our kids respond or view the degradation, the the struggle, the you know chaos that's happening in society is to talk about uh, what God created, what is what is holy yeah. and. And so, and still, rather than saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, don't do this, you know, be careful, kids, you're going to grow up in this world, talk a lot about the beauty of marriage, and and how God designed it to be between, you know, man and woman, and and what intimacy, and then also, he talks about just demonstrating that, you know, just, uh, and we, my wife and I were conscious of this growing, when our kids were growing up, and I mean, we didn't do it just for this reason, but we were conscious that they were capturing this, that we... You know, whenever we'd see each other in the morning, we'd hug and and you know kiss each other, greet each other when we got home. And, and I think our kids grew up with sort of this is natural, you know, mom and dad love each other yeah. and, and they they're, they they physically hold each other and kiss each other. And so so one of the ways maybe for believers to react is to come back to the basics of what the gospel is all about, what God intended. But that's also mm-hmm. a message we can give to help someone struggling. And that that's kind of what you were. Uh, indicating, I think.
0: Yeah, I didn't go back and talk about, you know, obviously Genesis created male, female, God created mm-hmm. male, female. And, but when we fell, man, we I mean, fell, and we're born, all of us, in Adam, no matter what Adam we're born to, we don't have the spirit of God is to understand our image as a male, female. And then I see when I talk about unpacked that people go into life and now we're in a culture that, 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 that the experience they have is true and their feelings may be true whether it be somebody does something, got a need met off of them in the wrong way, which would be a violation of incest or being molested, or whether or not you are up getting out of God's way. You end up, your experiences end up, I say to people, your experiences are true and what you felt was true. Your conclusions about yourself and life aren't necessarily the truth. And that statement makes them stop and say, well, I didn't say what you experienced went true. For example, you can't tell young people that didn't feel good the sexual thing, you can't feel it was, it felt good, but you're the same thing I said, but your conclusion about yourself, and see, psychologically, a lot of the sexual identity crisis are a psychological disorder that some experiences they had, and they begin to feel, think a certain way about themselves, and then they say, well, maybe that's who I am. And uh, I mean, if I could go multiple things. And I had the put, woman gave me permission to say this. She doesn't live anymore. I dealt for a year with a woman who was in a affair, married, but in an affair with a transgender. mm mm-hmm. A year of unpacking how she got there. So now she gave me permission. I can say something, I'm not going to say where she is or more details. But so that experience really, really got me in depth. I didn't try to talk her out of it. I tried to talk with her. I'm yeah. to her. Why did? How did this come about? In the same way I do with somebody comes in and they're, you know, they're headed for a path that's going to be destruction. It's going to destroy their marriage. They're going to, they think they can find somebody that accepts them for who they are as men. And it. But I ought to pause for a minute to tell you this. The sexual promiscuity has so invaded women as well, and that women themselves have been exposed to pornography to a degree that's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And and the attraction of same sex comes out of watching pornography, where usually you're going to see some sex in exchange between. And see, now your senses get trained and all of a sudden you begin to feel erotic feelings watching two women, watching two men. So, I mean, it, does, it doesn't take, and I, it, it, we didn't get to the thing, I don't know if we got one more question, but and the steps to continue to identify how I got here, mm-hmm. understand, not condemn, and then say, how do I, get, how do I, how do I get out of that? Well, yes, knowing who are Christ and you've been made acceptable to prove that I go back and I, I've now unpacking Romans six, seven, and eight and helping people, one of are Christians, the exact steps to take when I look at Paul, what he did. Now, one thing one thing that's really helped me recently, personally, maybe more, because the self-condemnation, you know, is so powerful here that Satan wants to condemn the sinner. And so I'm looking at Paul when he started wrestling in the seven, which we're talking about the good I do, the very thing that I need, the wretched man who I am, who will rescue me. And he said, thanks for your God in Christ Jesus. In my mind, I serve the Lord, but in my flesh, I could still sin. The next thing he said, and I remember there was no chapters and verses when he was writing this letter. The next thing he said, there is no condemnation. Yeah, Those are yeah. So <laughs> yeah. obviously he was feeling self-condemnation.
1: Yeah, I love that. I,
0: and I tell people every time you're doing this. If you go to condemnation, that is not from God. And the second verse, he said, "The life in Christ Jesus that set me free from the law of sin and death." I heard this beautifully put, I think, by Stuart Briscoe. I don't know if you know who he is a Bruce preacher. He said, "I believe this came from him." It illustrates the law of sin and death is like a law of gravity that's still there in our flesh. The law of life in Christ Jesus is like the law of aerodynamics that only the, that's Christ is like is overpowers the gravity
1: yeah. and
2: the
0: pull of the sin. That makes sense. Oh yeah, and the
1: the gospel is a miracle. I mean, it's it is unnatural. It's supernatural. Um, You you made a a, a interesting comment, and just get your your clarification or expand on it. Some that that when you meet with Christians, you'll refer to Romans six, seven, and eight. What about unbelievers? How do you speak to them?
0: Well, I just talk about how they got there. Whether mm-hmm. believer or unbeliever, you start there. Okay. You don't start telling them they're wrong or telling them what they should do, because otherwise they're, right they're going to feel judged and condemned. So, and first mm-hmm. of all, I got to be right that I, I'm saying, "Lord Jesus, what do you think?" Christ in me, how would you think if you're talking this? But I don't say what would you say or do to them, because it's pretty obvious you can tell somebody they're wrong. And I say it's very easy to tell somebody you're wrong. It's difficult for them to receive it or receive it coming from love. And mm-hmm. I tell that God never uses truth. To condemn somebody with the truth. He uses truth to set you free from the oh, lies.
2: Absolutely, and yeah.
0: And you, you got to say that because people feel the truth condemns them. No, it doesn't. The you condemns you, okay? The truth sets you free from the lies. So, by the way, so you start there and, 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 and even illustration of the practical thing that people know they're wrong. But if you're a non-Christian and you don't, then I think the gospel can come in. It, performance and appearance equals, you're, you, you know, you can't fix this on your own. So even oh, Yeah, saying, what,
1: what an opportunity saying, to present the gospel to someone, you know. Well, well, see, but they, you know,
0: even the, any addiction of any kind, you say you're powerless over this. Yeah. First step, 12 steps. Well, who are word higher power stuff, and we say, you got to come to the point, you can't fix yourself, and that's a pride thing, you can't fix, uh, if you choose, you don't want to fix and live like you are, are you, I read a great thing on happiness, happiness is understanding, I'm trying to, boy, I should read this thing, I just read this through, there's a Bible teacher here, Ken Boa, that's a fantastic Bible teacher, he's written a bunch of books, I don't know if you hear him. I
1: love his stuff on prayer, Absolutely. Oh man,
0: man! I sit, I go every week to listen to him.
1: Mm. Oh wow, and, what, a, what a luxury!
0: Yeah, it is a luxury. He he now he's right up here, but uh, I was gonna. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I could. But he yeah. made a statement about you know the powerful thing about forgiveness and what forgiveness is and the deeper meaning understanding. I may not be able to get to it. I wish I had a memory. Yeah, that's fine.
1: If you if you find it, uh, interrupt me and let me know. One one of the one of the things that uh, I'm. I'm seeing uh with particularly with same-sex attraction homosexuality is that there the world is saying hey you know grab it identify you know uh come out and and just take pride and and this is who you are and and the the christian message is kind of countering that isn't it that uh uh no the way to be set free from this is is to identify with christ um what, where, where's the the tipping point here, particularly in your in your counseling, where uh, one of the things, and I'll I'll wrap up that question or present the question in just a minute. But another thing, Yarhouse talks about in his book, uh, "Homosexuality and the Christian," is that there's there's three tiers. One is attraction, orientation, and then identity. And when you can talk to someone about the attraction there there's a it's a lot easier to help them through that once they get into orientation and then identity, it becomes very difficult. How does the Christian sort of speak uh, to again not against i I love how you've established that it needs to be in love. You speak to uh, this this uh tension that's increasing between. Hey, just uh, you know, fall into it. Give yourself to it. It's it's great. To identify versus uh, don't identify with Christ. So
0: the question you're saying is, well, How do you uh, not? How do you address somebody? I mean, I forget the.
1: Yeah, it was I a, think It was probably one of my longest running questions, and and halfway through <laughs> we lost the question. But yeah, how does how does the Christian respond to this? Uh, the, this this polar opposite message. In, in regard identity?
0: Well, I, I think, I think you know, what, what I don't, you know, it's easy to say this statement, we all know that, but I, I agree, I think where the church and the culture is going, we can love the sinner, I'm trying to love this person. Yeah, here's, here's the problem i got to I've got the whole thing I've thought through. I just said, if you continue in permiscuity eventually and get an met outside of God's way, you'll get to the point that you have a sexual identity crisis. That, that that is that is true of every culture. If you look back, world you can look at it. And you keep on this line of normalizing or acceptance that this is normal. And like for example, sex outside of marriage is normal and that we're just or the statement, we're just men, men love every man's gonna love And some people even said that every man's gonna look at pornography, that's just a man. I mean there's so many statements made that that, that normalizes that which is not normal. And so now you get to the point that we're normalizing something that isn't normal. I mean, to the fact that now I could get into how you say that we got to the point that we're going to create, you know, now not put he or she on birth certificates and let the kids decide who they are. We're going to not be able to discuss in public school, uh, in the health class, you're not going to use the word he or she anymore. This is happening. Yeah. Okay. Now, I can sit there and say I'm critical or I'm, I'm judgmental or I'm homophobic or I, 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 I hate the. No, I don't hate this center. I don't. But we have now got to the point that we are saying that there's another gender, not male or female. So uh, how did we get there rather than criticize the people there? And if somebody sits down and wants to unpack how we got, how, how has our culture got there? I gave you the answer, I think, and as I already said the answer. You can't continue in sexual permissivity. Remember, I was chief of sinners, and I'm coming out of that 50 years later mm. and understanding and discovering things in my own life, yet today, that affected me. Wow. And yet, I'm helping people understand how to get in touch with what goes on inside them and where it came from, rather than say it shouldn't be there, that you shouldn't be, feel this yeah. way. Yeah,
1: yeah. I loved an article I read some time ago. I forget who it was by that. There's there's really two identities. There's a sinner and and a redeemed or forgiven sinner. Uh, that's that's really the heart of it, isn't
0: it? Yeah. And so so you know, I said, well, how in the world do you only through Christ's power? Like what well, Jesus would think? He'd sit down with the sinner. The only people he blasted were the people that were using God, you the Pharisees, who thought they were self righteous. But mm-hmm. so we can become self righteous, okay? Yeah. And looking at and then people say to me, how could they do that they're a Christian? Did you hear that statement made? Oh, how,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: How could he do that? Well, I guess you don't understand yet that you have the capacity to sin just like they did. Yet, you still can't. And see, there's this false thinking that you reach a point of sanctification, you don't sin anymore here on earth. I don't know where you are in that, but that's not true. Now, this you can get to the point that Christ's discipline through Christ's power that you don't sin in that area and has less of an effect. But I found through all these years that I know I went away to pray and ask God, what do you got me in this for? He keeps bringing up, you know, not that I'm tempted, but I could tell you a story, but but I don't, you know, if a temptation takes place, I think I shouldn't be tempted because I'm a Christian anymore in this way, you're believing a lie. Mm. Now, God doesn't tempt me with sin. Satan, the God of world, knows the sin, he knows your weakness. Now, all I'm saying is that God allows us to be tested, to build our faith. And I think that's what James Swan says. God doesn't tempt us, but it always says in that passage with sin. But you're carried away by your own desires. Well, if you've filled your desires outside of God's way, and Satan knows that, and he'll he'll bring it back. So the 2 Corinthians 12, reality of a passage is to sink in, my grace is sufficient for your weakness, I'll give the glory. Every Christian that steps out and deals with their life and helps other people will have to face that I am, his grace is sufficient in my weakness
1: mm. and,
0: that, and that weakness in my flesh is how I fed the desires of my flesh outside of God's will
1: yeah and I, and I love that because it doesn't it doesn't lower the bar necessarily. I think sometimes we think, hey, if you're not going to overcome this and say it's your past, then you're you're not doing the right thing A, a lot of the gospel is about the, the courage that God gives us, that Jesus gives us, that the cross gives us to, uh, to live with this struggle, right? To, to know that as long as we're in these bodies, we're, we're going to keep wrestling over these things. But, um, but the gospel keeps reminding us that, you know, just, just as much as, you know, you, you commented on how exposure to these things for young kids can, can you know, it, it wires the brain a certain way, um, and it, it can lead to degradation, you know, worse things. Uh, well, the gospel does this the, the same, the opposite, right? It, uh, the, the more we keep reminding ourselves of what Jesus did for us, that he forgave us. And uh, I, I love your mm-hmm. statement about having the mind of Christ, you know, that, Lord, help me to think mm-hmm. what you're thinking. I think, I think it's also helped me to view them as you're viewing them, right? That That's right. That's exactly
0: right. Yeah, that yeah.
1: Hey, how do you? How would you? Uh, let's wrap up here. How how would you kind of sum up the whole? Because we've been, we we keep bringing in this idea of identity uh, into this, and I think the title of this uh, podcast is going to be "Sexual Identity and the Gospel Response." Uh, sum it up for us, so that we're able to walk away. Because we we've covered a lot here today. Uh, but just say something that just kind of allows us to walk away just, just thinking about one thing that would sum all of this up.
0: Well, I, I'm not surprised at where I were at because of my own flesh pattern that developed mm. when I was young and how Christ has brought the point of being able to understand, to direct it through his life. So uh, I love that statement made. I think it was Ken who made it too. He said, let's focus on falling in love with Jesus, not focus on the sin." And I think focusing on falling in love with Jesus when you deal with somebody and loving them, uh, I, I don't know, but I think, you know, there's a lot of concerns I have, and I think concerns with my grandchildren, concerns with kids that are exposed to things. And and, and I've been actually now seeing the impact of our culture in, well, I saw it in my family, with my children. I saw it now, it, 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 there is this battle there, between the flesh and the spirit, you know, there's two battles going on. One between the flesh and the spirit internally, then there's the battle of Ephesians six in heavenly places mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're in a battle all the time.
1: Oh yeah, let's not forget the old devil.
0: <laughs> well, I don't. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not going to focus on all the time. But we're in a fallen world.
1: Oh yeah, and Scripture
0: and this is, and it, the whole world lies in part of the evil one. Which now, theologically, we get in a whole discussion. Of when did that happen? At the fall? Did that, that that it happen? That Adam sin? But there's no doubt he's alive and well. There's no doubt that his goal to a Christian is is to get us into shame or get us to the point that we feel useless and we're not good enough to be used of God. Then he's destroyed your testimony to, and you walk here on earth mm. and uh, to, mm. to win others to Christ and to know Him. You know, so I don't know if I'm summing up the thing. Yeah, you are, it's and it's I, I would,
1: hard. I would, I would say uh, with that that. Um, yeah, the gospel tries, or the devil rather, tries to destroy, will destroy our testimony. Uh, but the person who has, and if there are any who are listening who feel defeated and discouraged because they've, they've fallen, uh, that your testimony might be impacted or you feel like it's destroyed. But guess what? Uh, Jesus died to forgive you. And you have another testimony you can share now, and that is that you're a forgiven sinner. And the world needs to hear that. I mean, I love, I love how you, in a few, few moments, or a few times, you inserted that all of this has come out of your own experience or failure some 40, 50 years ago. Um, that, that's, a, again, the fact that you, that I and everybody uh, sins, we fall short, uh, but then we confess and repent, and then we're forgiven. Uh, that's we, we, that's the telling of the gospel it's not saying hey you need to be you need to do better you need to you know stop doing this stop doing that uh, Jesus did it for us you know I, I, I gave up a long time ago trying to live a good enough life I, I, it struck me even about 10 years ago it just overwhelmed me uh, that that Jesus lived that life for me that I never can and and I, I trust that he did it for me I put my faith in that. And that cleanses me. That frees me up. That lets me run with a new motivation. Again, right. forgiveness is a great motivation uh, to live holy.
0: Yeah, yeah, can I? I wish I could read this. It's a little long, I but I download Kenbo as a uh, reflection ministry uh, an app that every day has. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: Well, we can certainly put know, that as a link as well um, to, to the website. Because sure, right. I was going to ask you if you had any resources that would be helpful to people. Well, I,
0: yeah, I, you know, there's so many. There's even articles you can download, mm-hmm. which I didn't bring up that talk about same same sex attraction, written by a Christian. I don't know where I was trying to look for it too, but I. Okay, uh, well, it, I'll, I'll get I, that.
1: I'll get that fr- from you after we we finish talking here, and yeah, but I you, can put resources. You know,
0: and I think I think the whole thing about you know some you know we know David. I, Go back to him and Psalm 32 and Psalm, you know, right. what, 51 is 51, where he really yeah. comes. To, but Psalm, but I also see Psalm 32 where he came to grips with mm-hmm. the, the reality of his sin and be able to be free from it. He was forgiven and be able to know there were consequences, obviously there because of it. But he he went back to renew his mind that Christ had forgiven him and he was forgiven. But he came yeah. honestly before God and. And forgiveness, you see, here's the thing I tell people when people are in sexual sin in marriage or something. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you trust the other person right away. And I deal with it all the time. So you can forgive somebody. And now people all say to me, I don't know if they repented, but what mm-hmm. does that look like? See, they're looking for some manifestation of change in the person's life outwardly, but it's an internal thing that really takes place when they get right with God. Yeah. And accept the forgiveness. And there's a humbleness and a brokenness that comes from the spirit of God, not from, not from man trying to make them feel that way. But anyway, it's, it's a long story about that. But this restoration process, this reconciliation process, that's what says we're, we're constantly in it. Uh, we've been reconciled to God and we're constantly in that ourselves. And we're constantly, as a Christian, should be in the ministry of reconciliation. So bottom line, the goal is reconciliation. When you encounter somebody that's in sin not condemnation.
1: Yeah, I love, that. Reconciliation. I love that. Hey, great way to, great way to end. I, I love how okay. we, you talked a lot about biblical truth, uh, talked a lot about the gospel. Uh, I know this will be helpful to a lot of people. Gene, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to talk to us about this. You did a great job. Well, I appreciate you, too. Thanks. Thank you. Well, wow, there you have it. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Before You Quit podcast. And I'm sure you have questions and comments that you'd love to make. I'd love to hear from you about anything we've talked about today or other programs on the Before You Quit uh, podcast. And you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. Go check out our website as well. 43 podcasts you'll find there and many blogs as well. And i uh, love for you to, uh, to check that out. So until next time, stay encouraged. And be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.